Welcome to the Empathy Podcast. Today we're speaking with Nick Shearing about empathy and entrepreneurship. Nick is a seasoned and experienced entrepreneur who's worked with startups all the way up to scale-ups and multinational corporations and always it comes back to what impact do you want to achieve? So really wonderful discussion today about the mental health of entrepreneurs, what we can all do to better protect ourselves while still creating the impact that we want to create. It's hard to find a balance, but it is possible. And Nick is a huge advocate for the mental health of entrepreneurs. So because Nick and I had such a great time talking about all things empathy, mental health and entrepreneurship, I've divided this interview into two parts. So this is part one. I hope you enjoy this discussion. Today we're talking about empathy and mental health in entrepreneurship. Now this one's very close to my heart. So today we're speaking to Nick Shuring, who is an entrepreneur and founder who is looking to take down the corporate world from the inside by becoming what's called an intrapreneur. So he's now doing his entrepreneurship, but within a corporate. So that's a Ooh. whole, uh, that sounds great, doesn't it? That's a good spin. <laughs> It's a great spin. I, I'll just need to write that down, put that in my LinkedIn profile. <laughs> How are you, Nick? Nick, do you want to give us a little bit of a better description of who you are and what you do and why I'm talking to you today about empathy and mental health in entrepreneurship? Sure, sure. Uh, so, kia ora koutou. I'm Nick Shearing. Uh, I come from New Zealand, uh, but I find myself living here in Brisbane, Australia. Um, like so many of my brethren, uh, we've made the jump to warmer climate. So my story. So I've been working for myself for about nearly 15 years as a founder. Um, uh, biggest business that I co-founded was BizDojo in New Zealand, which was the largest network of co-working and startup hubs across NZ. So we were a home to an incredibly diverse mix of um, unemployables, uh, you know, um, artists, designers, animators, film develop, uh, filmmakers, you name it, we had it. Um, yeah, just an incredible tribe of amazing people doing doing their thing, um, kind of living their mission and, and trying to do that. I've done a whole bunch of different startups uh, over, over my lifetime, kind of out of necessity. And now uh, I found myself, uh, as you say, working as a founder inside a, a corporate. So I'm innovation and strategy lead for GHD and I work in a team of kind of disruptors. So I work in the innovation team inside GHD. So I'm in a little 20 person team uh, that is inside a 400-person digital business, inside an 11,000-person corporate business. So, um, yeah, it's an interesting transition. Yeah, wow. So, GHD being, I'm going to say engineers and not hair straighteners. Surprisingly enough, um, my Tinder responses dramatically went down when I updated GHD civil engineering rather than GHD hair straighteners. Um, so, yes, we're a civil engineering company. Been around for about 94 years, So, uh, which is quite an interesting trip for me as a startup founder and having worked with startup and technology businesses for most of my life. Yeah, working in a company that uh, I, I work with people who are second generation GHD workers, yeah, okay. uh, which, is, which is kind of unique. But yes, so we do things like design um, water infrastructure and dams and our, you know, our transportation systems and water treatment facilities and power stations and uh, and mines and you know railway systems and all those kind of things. So um, we design and um, project manage projects that um, can last for hundreds and hundreds of years. So okay. it's um, yeah, it's a really interesting organisation. So let's 
let's talk a bit before we lose all of our listeners who go, hey, why are you talking to a sellout? Um, no, Nick. <laughs> a little bit. So Nick, There's a reason. Yeah, I was going to say, we, we, let's talk about the reason because yep. what I want to find out is it sounds glorious, this vision of being able to use all of the skills that you've learned up until this point in startups and entrepreneurship and innovation yep. and use it in a way for the greater good, but within a corporate setting, within that security and safety of a corporate setting, I guess. Mm. Um, but what is it that brought you to this point and what is it that you love about the startup innovation entrepreneurship space? Well, I guess, um, so to know where I got to today, you kind of have to look at that past piece, right? And so a couple of years ago, uh, my business was acquired. And at the start of that process, it was quite an exciting opportunity. It was a big corporate uh, within our category that was looking to acquire my business. That was something, you know, you dream about as a founder, right? Build your business up to a point that IPO or a large, a much larger organization acquires you and you get to realize that liquidity event, you get to realize that cash. But all of those hard years and slog and, you know, sleepless nights and all that that shit that comes with being a founder, finally you get to realize something, right? Because when you- the exit strategy slide yeah. comes into effect. Because, <laughs> you know, usually for most of us, we don't, we don't even have an exit strategy. It's just kind of like, we just keep building this fucking thing until some crazy person comes along and says, I'll buy that. Um, and that was a little bit like that. And, and it was a huge moment. It was kind of like this realization that we'd done something that was starting to be really seen. Um, and, uh, and you know most founders with with their with their weight will say to you that luck plays a huge part in an exit um, and timing uh, so a little bit of luck a little bit of timing a little bit of creative tension a little bit of fomo between uh, a few parties that'll do that so when it came down for and you know I've talked a bit in the past and there's a few things around the business exit but um, in the end it was a hostile takeover of our company so we as founders and business owners um, didn't realize any value whatsoever in that transaction and it was it was a really tough moment so it was uh, we were offered way below what we actually had in debt and way below what the business had been valued and we found ourselves in a situation where we are needing to call creditors and convince them to take huge uh, credit compromises. And they had literally on that phone call to make that decision or the business was being pushed into liquidation. So that was, you know, December, December 2017. And uh, that was probably, you know, the hardest time of my, my life, second to none. You know, no sleep for months, um, stress um, completely tapped out. Um, personally, financially, at the same time, you know, our incredible staff pushing the envelope on trying to build the company and be as successful as possible. So we're smashing all of our targets. You know, our customers are really happy. At the same time, we as business owners and founders are like, you know, absolutely gone past breaking point. So I had a complete nervous breakdown um, through it. I don't actually, I really, a lot of it is a blur. Uh, and, I, and I'll say as well that anything that I talk about this, this is my perspective. Others might have a different perspective on how they feel things went, but this is you know, my personal recollection and perspective on the events that happened. Um, but I found myself after we got that credit compromise across the line and we did something and all of our lawyers said, this is un impossible, you'll never do this, there's no possible way, you, you should prepare yourself to be in the media as you know, being bankrupt and high profile. We somehow managed to pull it together. and. Um, we got the deal live. Our staff retained their jobs uh, for some time, and our community was whole. But we were not 
we got some token jobs. Um, but at that point for me, on a fundamental level, the brutality of the acquirer that purchased our business was so, it was, it was so catastrophically aggressive around how they did it yeah. that, um, I mean, unbelievably, like, you know, just, yeah. I, I've talked to, a, since then, I've talked to a lot of entrepreneurs um, that I've met from around the world who have gone through an acquisition process, both, uh, both an entire buyout and both, the, you know, a series, you know, series A, series B investment into their business. And almost every single person that I talk to goes, I've never come across anyone having gone through that level of abuse that you guys kind of endured on that. And it was because the acquirer ultimately wanted to get their maximum return by driving the value of our business down. And somehow we just managed to hold on by the skin of our teeth to get the deal live to stop it going into liquidation. But through that process, I couldn't continue to be in the business. I just couldn't, I couldn't look my staff in the eye. I couldn't look my community in the eye. I felt that I betrayed them by the acquirer that had come in had turned out to be just the most immoral bunch of bastards you could have ever imagined buying your beautiful, beautiful baby. Yeah. And, um, and their intentions were to, you know, just cut the guts out of it, take what they could. Um, and really it was about, um, acquiring their biggest competitor in the market and you know kind of destroying it really absorb what they could and get rid of what they didn't want and so, so was it, were you part of a team or was this you as an individual i was a co-founder so um so you know my co-founder jonah and i started the business 10 years ago um, well over 10 years ago now back in 2009 we started the business so, you know really humble beginnings i think you know like a lot of people they don't really you don't really intend to build a multi-million dollar company often. I think that's something that's more of a new paradigm where people kind of start out and go, I'm going to be the next Apple. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm looking forward to my Series A and oh, I'm going to be a billion dollar valuation. We started out actually just going, how could we have like really cool people hanging out with us every day? Wouldn't it yeah. be amazing if we could just work around amazing people? And what we found was when we launched kind of in the middle of the GFC and our community were actually people who had been made redundant from all around the world and lost their jobs and all coming back to New Zealand and wanting to have a place to kind of start again. And so, you know, we grew like crazy. I mean, it was, it was insane growth. It was, you know, three, 400% growth year on year um, uh, from the start. And we sort of started off as one tiny little tenancy. And I think we started off about $39,000 was our lease, I think, in our first year, 39 grand. And by the time we exited, we were about 4 million in leases. Yeah, and wow. so in the space of nine years, it gone from 36 to 4 million. Yeah. So quite a jump. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and obviously we'd gone from, you know, a space that was less than 200 square meters to like nearly 14,000 square meters. Yeah, wow. And one staff member, me, uh, cleaning toilets and, you know, making coffees and doing all that kind of stuff through to, you know, 70, 70 or 80 staff, you know, creating amazing experiences and, yeah, it was it was it was an incredible, an incredible journey, and um, took an, a horrific toll on uh, on me mentally. Um, Up until the acquisition point, or oh, the whole way through, you know, like, oh, and right. I think this is look. I think I love being a founder. I love being an entrepreneur. I love that inquisitive nature of seeing something and going, Shit, I reckon I could do something with that. I could solve that yeah. problem. I could do it. And I, I love that. And that is always that curiosity is something that always fuels me and something I do every day in my job now. And I will continue to do with every business that I'm involved in from this point. But there were elements of it that I think had we had better support structures, had we been 
uh, less ego, more empathy, I think, at times. Had we been able to ask for help, I think we could have been a lot more successful and, and actually both ment and mentally far more balanced as well. So I think one of the things that I often talk about with founders is um, there's no like dedicated playbook that gets you from starting point to you know a multi-million dollar exit there, there actually isn't and yeah there's some theories and there's some things that can, you can do that kind of set you up for that but there's no guarantees if there was there'd be you know a lot of billionaires cruising around because we'd have all just followed the playbook and it would have all worked out right but yeah. but it kind of doesn't and and i think one of the things that i underestimated was the toll that it would take on me and people close to me so you know that that constant kind of push that constant energy, those long hours. Um, and then when you get down to that kind of final exit point, and you know, I have this surreal memory of the acquirer that bought us the CEO, invited us out to his uh, private home in the south of France. This guy's worth you know, a couple of billion pounds. And we're sitting there beside his pool and his, he's got his wine vineyards in front of us. Turns out this guy is the second largest producer of rosé wine in, in France and it's his, it's his hobby. You know, I mean, it's a moment, right? And you're sitting there going, you know, it's not every day you meet billionaires and it's not every day you're kind of negotiating a deal for your business. It was a really interesting moment. And the funny thing is, and I've talked to a lot of people about this, I am probably a more successful entrepreneur and founder because of going through losing everything now than I would have been. Uh, because I've actually seen how brutal it can be and how tough those decisions can be made. You know, there, there are decisions that are made when someone buys your business, the value is in the buying, not in the selling. So they, they, their intention is to drive the value of your business down as much as humanly possible so that they can realize their upside in that. Now they, you know, that's just the nature of it, right? If you're gonna buy a car off someone, you're not gonna pay them two grand more for the car than what it's worth. You're gonna try and push it down two grand below what the car was worth because you want to try and realize that upside and and that's the same in business and i think you know I've, I've had to learn some pretty hard lessons the big lesson is i don't think i could ever be a billionaire because i'm just not brutal enough i don't have the killer instinct i think to to kind of stab someone in the throat and just keep pushing you know so i just you're don't, saying I don't you're a it. nice person is that is that what you're saying <laughs> I, I think I can be a real prick and I think I can push for a good deal, but I just, I think a billionaire is a unique personality. Yeah, I don't, okay. I, I think it's a unique, a, a unique kind of mindset that has to put humanity a little bit in the back seat. There's a few, <clears throat> I mean, you look at Bill Gates, for example, it's not surprising that so much of what his life is now is around his giving back, yeah. making a difference and, you know, done it better than almost anyone. And I think part of that is that, you know, you know, I wonder how much of it at times is atoning for some of the decisions we make on the way up because it's not the easiest thing making decisions at times that affect other people's lives. And I think anyone who's been in leadership, whether it's in a business, uh, in the services, when you make decisions that you know will have a, a dire effect on someone's life or, you know, and I'm not going to say an, an entrepreneur has the same effect as a, as a captain, but you are affecting other people's lives around you, whether you intentionally want to or not and that carries a toll and yeah you have to live with it you have to live with those choices you make so let's talk about i mean you talked about a fairly meteoric rise that you had <laughs> um, year on year with biz dojo what is that like because i think when we talk about mental health it doesn't seem to matter whether you have a meteoric rise or you plod along for years and years and then something happens or nothing happens it seems to be entrepreneurship has this unique risk of us burning out 
or us taking it too personally and sometimes not paying attention to our mental health because we are so focused on what it is that we're doing. Because I don't think, and correct me if I'm wrong in your experience, entrepreneurship is not nine to five. It doesn't feel like you can compartmentalize or you've got to be really good at compartmentalizing entrepreneurship into, okay, now it's five o'clock and I'm going to go home and watch Netflix and not think about it. I'm not going to check email. I'm not going to check social media. I'm not going to do any of that because my job finished at five o'clock. So let's talk about what's going on and what can we do to bring light to mental health and entrepreneurship in a way that people go, oh, I could be doing this better. I deserve to be better. Love this topic and uh, love it, love it, love it. Can't talk enough about it. So thank you. Um, look, I think a big part of it is, um, you know, we need to break down those barriers around failure. That's, that's a fundamental thing here. You know, we need to be able to create, a, an, I suppose, a, an acceptance of failure and of learning and, and adjustment. I think for a lot of founders on that path up, we are, we are so unbelievably scared of failing and be seen as a failure that it pushes us way beyond our limits of what we could ever, we ever thought was possible. And for most founders who've built quite big businesses and, you know, we were a multi-million dollar company, turning over millions and millions of dollars a year and all from very humble beginnings, you don't realize the amount of work that it actually takes to get there. And for most of us, if you could go back and talk to yourself at the start, you go, don't do it. What are you thinking? You're crazy. Man, you're crazy. Do this. You put so much energy into that thing. Do this other thing, which will make more money and be faster and easier. And that's coincidentally why there are so many um, founders building, you know, software tech platforms rather than, you know, what we built was a physical SaaS product, right? So we built a SaaS app. It was a physical space. It was on demand. And just like Spotify, if you didn't want to stay there, you canceled your subscription and it was out, you know, so you, you, your customers had total ability to walk away. Interesting enough, we had people for three and a half years. We had really high return rates. So we ran our business like a SaaS app, but it was a physical product. But I guess one of the interesting things that comes with the kind of toll is, and it's different, it's not a linear path, right? So when you're you're like two or three people and it's like your best friends and you're high-fiving every time you get a deal and you're like, fuck yeah, this is great. And then all of a sudden you're closing deals that are like $100,000 and you're like, yeah, this is fucking great. And woo, let's get back to it. As the bills, you know, everything just keeps jumping and jumping and jumping. And, you know, we used to laugh, my founder and I, my co-founder, that our payroll per fortnight was bigger than our lease in our first year. So we were paying more in wages every fortnight than we were in our first year of operating entirely. (laughs) You know, it's like, wrap your fucking head around that. You know, like it's scaled to that point. And so part of us were, we were incredibly proud. We, We felt, you know, like a sense of like achievement. It was like every person who turned around said, you can't do it. You're never going to amount to nothing. You know, there was this incredible piece of that. But behind the scenes, there was, um, life hadn't changed much for our families. It was exactly the same as it was at the beginning. Still no money. You know, this thing had got really big. Um, And I think one of the things that I would probably say to a lot of founders is, you know, and I didn't realize this until after I kind of lost everything, is first get right in your head. What do I need to earn? What am I actually needing to earn? What makes me less stressed? Is it 50 grand, 100 grand? 200 grand what is it and once i understand that is my business even potentially able to cover that and if it isn't what can i do that covers that because if i can't build a business that can even pay me the income that i need to survive then chances are it's going to be creating so much unbelievable stress on me 
I'm going to start making really bad decisions. And I think this is the big thing, you know, when we push ourselves as founders and we don't really understand what the customer wants and we don't understand how to make money and we're just trying to run, 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 hopefully it'll work out, hopefully it'll work out, we start to make bad decisions. And I think yeah. for, for me, when I think about that, um, I think there were so many opportunities that if we're just taking a pause, taking a breath, come back to those basic values, why, why were we doing what we were doing? What was it that our customers loved about what we did? Get back to those first principles, right? We'd always talk about this in the business, get back to first principles, get back to basics. You know, that was the happy place. That was what made you feel grounded. It was the, that moment. And you would make less bad decisions. And I think, um, I think for so many of us, as we go through the journey of building something, you know, it goes through these interesting little moments where it goes from a concept in your head and an idea on a piece of paper, right? And then it starts to become real. Suddenly you have staff around you. Suddenly you have other people giving you money. Suddenly you have customers paying you for stuff. And so that's a pretty incredible moment, you know, to have something that you just kind of schemed away in your head yeah. oh, is yeah. now real. I mean, that is amazing. I mean, that first time someone gives you money and you're like, I don't even know that person. They're not even related to me. They're not even a friend and they're just giving me money. Somebody found me on the internet. <laughs> How did that happen? You want to message them and go, oh my God, you're my first paying customer. I can't believe it. You're my best friend. Yeah. And so it is an, it's an amazing moment. And it's, you know, and I think, you know, all I say to founders is hold on to that. Fucking, you know, do that and keep repeating it and get really excited every time someone does that. Try not to let yourself get bogged down by the bullshit of running a business. Because there is so much stuff that goes into running the business that isn't about your customer. You know, I, I, I think about it for, for us when we got to a certain point. You know, we spent all day talking about HR issues, interpersonal people problems, who's dating who, you know, what's, what's falling apart, you know, and, and it's like that, that wasn't stuff that we enjoyed. It was stuff that was like, that was what we, you know, wore black t-shirts and caps and said we didn't want to have to do was like the establishment. We, we wanted to be against all that crap. We wanted to be ultralistic. And it's kind of ironic that as you get really big, you realize oh, I actually kind of have to run like a business. It's kind of like, like an HR person. You probably kind of need some structure. Um, I don't think I've answered your question, but I've just rambled a little bit. I've been taking notes. Don't worry. So because, <laughs> I mean, I'm also in that space. I'm also in that space. And when you say things like fear of failure and what is it that you need to earn? I think if we sort of sidetrack for a little bit, I think, because the way that I visualize it, I see entrepreneurship as the wizarding world and I see the corporate job as the muggle world. Mm -hmm. And I think for a lot of founders, to get a muggle job, I think we need to let go of that thinking that, that that's in any way a failure because I think there's this, this feeling in the wizarding world that, oh, I've got to do this and I've got to keep building and I've got to put everything into it because the payoff is coming, but you drive yourself into the ground to do it. When in actual fact, getting a muggle job might actually give you a mental break. It might actually give you the finances to do the other stuff better. Mm -hmm. um, and getting a muggle job is in no way a failure. It's in no way taking away from you being a founder and an entrepreneur and an ideas guy. It's okay to do that. And I think it's giving people permission to, you're allowed to do both. From time to time, you're allowed to do both. I think if you think of yourself as a commodity, right? You, you are the business, you know? Yeah. Um, 
and really it's about delivering products and services. So sometimes you'll have a contract that is actually a nine to five contract delivering certain outcomes and certain services. And that's really good for your business because that's nice, stable income, and that's really good. And sometimes you'll have these other products and services that are exponential scaling beyond your hours, you know, beyond the hours that you work every day. So I try to think about, and I never really understood this. So at the end of the business, when, when I exited and I had no money and I threatened to go to the media and they said, here, take six months salary and fuck off was basically <laughs> the conversation. Sign this and don't talk to anyone. Yeah. I did that, you know, and it was very hard to do because I wanted to scorch the earth and burn the world down and, you know, typically do, do what boys do um, and throw my toys. And it was the first time in my life I didn't have a job and I didn't know what to do with myself. And my then uh, girlfriend, uh, I lasted about three days before she was starting to go crazy. She was like, can you just do something? Because like you've vacuumed the house twice today and you've mowed the lawns every single day since you've been home, the grass ain't growing. So what are you doing? <laughs> like, you don't know what to do with yourself. And I, I literally, I've gone from working, you know, like 14, 15 hour days for nine years straight, seven days a week and, and never been off. Even when I was off, I was on, you know, yeah. like, how do we do this? And I'll be messaging my business partner and I'll be like, Hey, I just had this fucking idea. Blah, blah. And suddenly that was gone and I didn't know what to do with myself. And she said, um, she kind of gave me this, She's like, you really like having meetings with people. Why don't you, you go and have meetings or something? Just get the fuck out of the house. And so I went, oh, that's cool. That's a good idea. And so I jumped on LinkedIn and I went, right, I'm going to have meetings with people in my city that I've never physically met, that I've either got 100 or more mutual connections with or 10 or less mutual connections with, but I've never met them. Because I kind of thought, if we've got 100 or more, why on earth have we not met? We've got so much in common. We've got all this intersection. Man, we must be like best friends. And just have not met each other. And then the ones that were below 10, I was like, man, you are right out on the edge of my connection circle. Um, I'm going to learn really cool stuff from you, like the outer limit and the inner limit, you know? And so I had 40 meetings over a month, you know, just back-to-back meetings. I just hung out in this cafe and I just, you know, spent my six months and come on meetings. And I was meeting all these different people, politicians, entrepreneurs, you know, salary men you know, whatever. I was meeting all these different people and I would start off with this thing, go, you know, tell me about how happy you are. Tell me about your life. I just want to know. And they're like, why? And I was like, well, I've just recently gone through selling my company and I'm trying to work out what I want to do with the rest of my days. And, uh, and they were like, oh, okay, cool. Um, yeah. And we went through. And one of those meetings was with a guy called Mitch Olson. And Mitch said to me, we were halfway through the meeting, he said, have you heard of this thing called the icky guy? And I went, the icky what? And goes, Icky guy, I-K-I-G-A-I. And I was like, no. And he goes, and he spins it up on his phone, and it's a beautiful little Venn diagram. And he goes, this is all this, this Japanese philosophy, this purpose for being. And I was like, oh. And I had this moment. I had this, like, eureka moment. And I was like, are you serious? And I scribbled it down on a piece of paper, and I wrote it down, and where we went. And then every meeting that I had from that point, I said to people, tell me where you are on your Icky guy. And they were like, oh, well, I'm kind of here. And I was like, okay, so, so how does that make you feel? And I'm like, oh, pretty good. But, you know, I hate this part-time job I do because I, I have to make money. And suddenly I realized that everyone I was talking to, fucking everyone, whether they were rich or poor or in between, everyone was kind of half happy. They were kind of doing stuff, but yeah. they weren't quite sure. They were doing a good corporate job that paid lots of money and they had the mortgage, but they were volunteering their time on the weekend because they really hated their nine to five. And everyone was trying to find this happiness thing, this kind of icky guy. 
And so one that made me happy because I felt like, well, I'm not particularly happy and no one else seems to be very happy. Well, that's great. Well, you can all be miserable together. (laughs) No one's got the inside on this. And I was like, there's a few happy people, but not really. And so through that process of um, meeting these people and talking to people, I realized that, and I was doing it because I was trying to work out who I was in myself, right? And I didn't understand what my purpose was. I didn't understand what my meaning in life was. I didn't understand what my values were. I was just kind of, I'd just been going through the motions of building a business. And I think one of the interesting things, and I, and I t- talk and I coach quite a few different founders now, is that they don't know, like it's like they jumped in a car and they know where the next service station is and they've, they've plotted that in on the GPS, but they don't know where the destination is they're going. So they just keep driving really fast to the next service station and they run out of gas and they go, okay, cool, next service station, right, drive to that one. And then we'll drive to that one and then drive to that one. And there's no real plan often with a lot of founders. It's just kind of like winging it. And I think for me, definitely having a plan, you know, where, where am I five years from now? What, what does success look for me for five years? What do I want to have achieved? If I'm getting given a medal on a stage by the, the queen or whatever it is, what's that for? Like, is it because I made a shitload of money? Here you go, Nick, here's your medal for making lots of money. Or was it about making a shitload of impact? You know, and I, I think there's these kind of fundamental questions that often as founders, we don't really ask ourselves those things. Why do you think that is? Do you think that's fear that stops us from asking those questions? We don't know how important they are until we've fucking lost everything, until we've gone through building the multi-million dollar business and having to start again. We don't really necessarily know that you know, because we, we've kind of got to trip our toes, right? We've got to kind of fall over and skin our knees a little bit. We've got to go through the hard knocks. And until you go through those hard knocks, it's a little hard to take the advice sometimes, you know? And it's, and I think, yeah, maybe there's a bit of fear in there, you know, and it's easier. I know this will sound strange, but I have had conversations with founders that it's easier for them to think about the challenge they need to do today, the tactical thing they need to do in their business yes. rather than the strategic direction of where their business is going. Yes. And that's back to your comment before around, that, that paradox, am I doing good? Am I actually doing good? Or, or is my business really making impact? I, I, don't, I don't know, is it? I don't know, because I can't measure it. I don't know what that looks like. And so, yeah, I think for as many founders as possible, you know, it, if you can start to ground yourself with where is that horizon? What is that point? You know, where am I going so that I can start? Now, you don't necessarily like the journey from that point will be backwards and forwards and all over the place. But without that horizon point where you go, I want to know that whatever I've done has had the impact of 10 million people. I want to know that I've had a positive impact on 10 million people's lives. They're using my product every day and it's making a fundamental difference in their lives. Cool. Okay. That's what you're aiming for right now. Everything backwards from that now is to get you to there. And most of us just don't do it. We go, how do I get a few more users on? How do I get a few more people listening? How do I get this? How do I get that? We, we kind of, go up in layers rather than go to the end zone and then go, what would we need to get to that? Because I think there's probably, there's probably fear involved there. There's probably control issues because it's easier to control what's directly in front of me than it is to control something I have just an inkling of. I mean, I know that this is what I want to achieve. I know that my product, my services has potential. But the, and that probably feeds in then to that, that fear of failure. Well, why would I say 10 million? To me, that's pie in the sky. I can control this right now. But then the thing that keeps us going 
is that fear of not realizing the impact yep. because it's like i have this thing i believe in this thing i know that it's changed this many lives and i feel like it would be a disservice if i stopped now so i think the next progression from that is like you were just saying is then okay if i know it can impact one person what do i what's the pie in the sky like what do i really want it to do what's the potential and it's getting out of your own way and being brave and saying what do i want that to look like but within the boundaries that you said before which was well hang on why do people love us and why do they choose us and why do we do this and what is it that i genuinely want to earn and then creating goals around that is that right yeah, totally. So how I, and it's kind of a weird one, right? So after I lost the millions and never quite had them, they were all on paper, not in my bank account, unfortunately. Um, so there was no, you know, moment of swimming around inside the cash, um, but it was like almost there. I could almost taste it. Um, it went out and did some really irrational things like buying a car I couldn't afford and, you know, deposits on things that I couldn't couldn't never afforded, but it was like almost there, almost there. Uh, and, you know, um, please do a podcast on irrational decision-making uh, and manic moments due to sleep deprivation because lots of founders do that shit. Um, so I realized on a really deep fundamental level as I was going through all these questionnaires and all these surveys with people that I, I worked out how much money I needed to earn to be happy. Yeah. I, I worked that out. It was like, if I could earn this amount of money, I am so happy. Like I don't need to stress. I can pay all my bills. I can, I can live the life that I want to live. And so I knew that was the money that I needed to earn. But then I realized that actually, for me, the thing that got me out of bed every day was this fundamental impact on people's lives around the world and founders and everyone else. And I started to work out, well, okay, so now that's my, that's my North Star. I know that's where I'm going. I want to have a positive impact in a million founders' lives. That was, that was my aspirational goal. Yeah. Could I reach that? Fuck, who knows? Took me nine years nine years in New Zealand to impact about a hundred thousand people's lives. Now I was just talking about how do I scale that up? Yep. So, you know, like nine years, limited amount of scale, like how do I scale this up? And I started to think, what is something I'm really passionate about? And what is I, what do I think the world really needs? So I'm coming back to my icky guy, you know, what the world, what, what are you good at? What does the world need? Um, you know, what do you love doing? What makes you happy? And I realized that actually water, the, you know, so many people in the world do not have access to clean drinking water. They just don't. Clean drinking water and sanitation. Not the most sexy thing, but without it, we all die and we kill each other. So without water, total anarchy. So I started to realize that that was kind of where I wanted to play. I was like, okay, I want to, I want to do something with water. I want to make water more accessible. I want, to, I want to do this stuff. I want to take all my skills and all my hustle and all my knowledge from being a founder and I want to try and solve these problems. But if I want to do it, I want to do it at scale. I don't want to do it small. And luck plays a part in everything. The universe, once you start to work out what you want to do with yourself, the universe has a tendency to kind of throw opportunities in front of you and you have to kind of grab them. So I ended up working as the GM for a not-for-profit here in Queensland called Waterstart. And Waterstart was about trying to provide funding to make it easier for larger water utilities to try new experimental technology. So it was basically helping startups. Cool, tick my founder box, you know, and it was working with these founders and startups to try and solve big issues with water. And as I started to get into that, I was like, man, this is cool. I'm really enjoying this. I'm working with founders. I'm doing stuff with water. It's something I really care about. And I'm starting to hit the scale thing, but the scale wasn't quite there. It was like 4 million people in Queensland. It's not really feeling like it's cutting it. 
then GHD. GHD has, you know, hundreds and hundreds of water clients around the world. And I thought, what if I could get myself in there? So I created an opportunity to join them. I hustled my way in there by closing a deal with one of their largest clients, creating an opportunity and finding some amazingly entrepreneurial people in there that saw someone like me as an asset to the business. So go forward eight months, I've been there. We're now created a online community that connects our 20 odd water utilities that are a part of our first pilot that are servicing well over 35 million people around the world in our first 10 weeks. So you can be an entrepreneur, whether you're in a fucking big corporate or you're doing it on your own. It comes down to your decision around scale and impact. And that was the thing for me. I realized I don't have what it takes to be a brutal fucking billionaire. I'm never going to get to that point. And I don't, and I don't want to. I know exactly what I need to earn. And as long as I'm earning that, I'm a happy chappy. But I do know that the thing that I want to be put in the ground for at the end of the day, I want to know that I had an impact and a legacy impact beyond myself and hopefully had a positive impact in a few million people's lives. And I know that I can do that with what I'm doing. So long, long-winded, long story there, but it's about, you know, I think if more founders truly took some time and elevated up a little bit from the excitement of the idea and the product they're trying to build and looked at themselves and went, what do I want to do with my purpose and my life? And what does my life's purpose look like? Then all of the startups and all of the technology and stuff become tools and mechanisms to get to that point because you've got the decision at the end. Like you might, your, I don't know, your vision might be to have a fundamental impact in the mental health of a million or 10 million founders' lives, right? That might be your aspiration. So then everything else, every conversation you have with someone like me is all about how does it help into that and i think that's where a lot of founders go wrong we just don't do that so that's the conclusion of part one please stick around for part two